1: Take your business further at tmobilecom slash now.
0: From Pushkin Industries, this is Deep Background, the show where we explore the stories behind the stories in the news. I'm Noah Feldman. In recent weeks, three new variants on COVID-19 have been occupying a lot of attention in the news. There's a variant in the UK that is apparently more contagious and possibly more harmful. Then there is a variant in South Africa and one in Brazil at least one of which and possibly both of which do appear to be less responsive to existing vaccines or to antibodies created by people who've already had COVID. How alarmed should we be about these developments? How will they affect the interaction between the rollout of the vaccine and the progress of the disease? And what will it all mean for when we can begin to get back to conditions resembling normal? Here to talk us through these challenging questions is Mark Lipsitch. Mark now qualifies as a friend of deep background for his regular appearances on the show to help explain the coronavirus pandemic to us, stretching all the way back to February of 2020, when he was one of the first epidemiologists to sound the alarm about the coming pandemic. Mark is professor of epidemiology at the Harvard Chan School of Public Health And he's also the director of the Center for Communicable Disease Dynamics there. He has spent years creating and analyzing models that study pathogen spread in a population and he's also studied how to effectively communicate this information to decision makers and the wider public. All of that study has turned into practical reality over the last 11 months. We're very lucky to have Mark back to talk about this mutation and its consequences and the lessons we've learned from living with COVID now for nearly a year. Mark, welcome back. Today I wanna start with the South African variant, which has been getting a lot of attention because of the question of the extent to which it is or is not susceptible to the vaccines that have been created. So I wanna begin by asking you, how worried are you about the South African variant, and, what are the consequences of that worry for your picture in the big sense of where we're headed?
2: Well, I think most observers, including me, are are seriously worried that this will complicate efforts to protect people by vaccination and reduce the quality of immunity from natural infection um, because there's evidence that for the South African variant that both of those things are likely true. The extent of the concern is still really A matter of speculation. Most likely is that there will be some degree of immunity, maybe more immunity to severe infection than to getting infected at all. But it really remains to be seen. It's not a good sign. It will certainly make things harder, but I think the degree of that is really a matter of complete speculation right now.
0: And is the reason, the underlying reason, for why both vaccine efficacy might be reduced as well as why natural immunity might be reduced the same, namely that the variant has some sort of evolutionary shift in the spike protein that makes it less of a good match for what's been designed for the antibodies created in response to the pre-existing version of the virus?
2: That's right. So the existing vaccines narrowly target a very specific part of the spike protein, um, but also our natural antibodies we respond, that we make in response to natural infection, also in most people heavily target that region of the virus. And so in both cases, uh, the antibodies do their job less well.
0: Both Pfizer and Moderna have released highly preliminary in vitro studies where they had a sort of good news, bad news formulation in their, in their PR. Their, the good news was supposed to be well, they do say that their vaccines are still working on the South African variant but the bad news is that it's not working as well as they would have liked it to work. I mean, I'm oversimplifying that a little bit. Um, And Moderna, in fact, said, just out of an abundance of caution, we're going to try to rejigger our version of the vaccine. So it will address the South African variant, and we think we should be able to pull that off. Tell me about what should one think about those public statements?
2: Yeah, I think those are accurate and of course where it falls on the good news bad news spectrum is is the part that i said a minute ago is a matter of speculation i mean this is this is the general picture when we have a vaccine or we have an immune response we can measure many of its properties and very often the degree to which it works in a test tube or in a cell culture correlates with how well it works uh, in people but not not usually perfectly, and so translating it's in between nothing and very effective into where it is on the spectrum of of epidemiological effectiveness is the part that we just don't know yet, but should be able to learn more about as we see the variant spread and infect people in places with more vaccine coverage.
0: All of this is happening in this extremely complicated dynamic game. I mean, for most of us who don't do what you do for a living, we're just slowly, gradually beginning to appreciate just how complicated it is to keep track of all the moving parts. So we already have this very complicated phenomenon of vaccines being introduced, social distancing continuing in some places, and then the ongoing spread of the virus. And now in addition to those three factors that were already in play, we also have an evolutionary twist uh, that may change the game as well. So I wanna ask you a few questions about the interaction of those four factors. And since there's so many moving parts, I'm gonna go slowly so that you can explain it to me in, in, in slower terms. Um, start with which vaccines are in play here. So is there a reason to think that even if Pfizer and Moderna vaccines work all right on the South African variant, that other of the vaccines that are out there in the world that are more available, let's say, in less developed countries where it's harder to get the refrigeration and so forth. Is there reason to think that those would be even less efficacious than the mRNA vaccines?
2: Well, I think first of all, uh, it's not just people who don't do this for a living who find it hard to keep track of the moving parts. It's really hard if you do. Um, in, in answering your question about the other vaccines, um, a recurring theme in this pandemic, as in a lot of science, is there's what we have reason to think based on scientific precedent, and then there's what we have data about that specifically answers the question. Yep. We don't have data yet, as far as I'm aware, on the effectiveness of the other vaccines against this. What, what we have reason to think is that the story will be probably quite similar. I think all of the vaccines that are far along in clinical trials and virtually all of the vaccines that are being developed a significant part or all of their immune response that they're generating is to the spike and to this particular these particular parts of spike, and even natural infection, which is the whole virus that we can respond to, is uh, the immune response is compromised for the South African variant. So I think it would be likely that the story will be similar across the board but there could be some variations in the types of immune responses that are favored by different vaccines in some subtle way that, that would make it better or worse.
0: Is it right, as I've gleaned in a layperson's way, that the mRNA vaccines might be more tweakable in the lab and in real time than the other vaccines? I mean, that's certainly how the, again, the public relations suggests it to be.
2: Yeah, I think the public relations suggests that. And I think it is the most straightforward because you're simply generating a sequence uh, of RNA um, and the sequence can change a little bit. And it's the same process as making it uh, the first time was. I think a lot of the technologies that are used for vaccines have this feature that they take a piece of the virus and generate the immune response. Um, So I think to a large degree, all of the vaccine technologies are pretty flexible. I don't know whether mRNA will be a whole lot faster. It may be somewhat faster. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's turn then to the, the first step, as it were, of the interaction question. So even before the South African variant was emerging, uh, you've been thinking and writing and speaking about the interaction between the rollout of vaccines and the question of the trajectory of the pandemic. Would you give us, let's say, your pre-variant analysis in a nutshell of what that interaction looks like, and then we can layer in the variant change?
2: If we put aside the variants for the moment, then it's clear that for most of the world, the vaccine is still not a serious factor. For the rich countries, it is becoming a serious factor and sort of low single digits of percents of people. But in most in most of the developed world it's still a minor factor, but is ramping up and the level of coverage is likely to be meaningful in a few months. Well, in, in certain
0: rich countries. So you think sort of April May in rich countries?
2: It will be meaningful by, by April May, but not necessarily high. I mean, Mm -hmm. the Biden administration came into office saying 100 million doses in 100 days. The pace has been nearly a million doses a day already. And it's been quite quiet from the Biden administration when that was reported that this was just a modest increase. Uh, There was not a statement, okay, we're going to make it 200 million. And I think I don't have any particular information, but my sense is there just aren't the capacities in the companies to make more doses than they're making and it's not just a matter of saying please do it or you must do it it's just that they are at capacity for manufacturing and 100 million doses means 50 million people vaccinated in a country of of over 300 so that is still modest prior to the var- variants and even still i was saying i don't know when we're going to get to herd immunity if at all because We don't know how well the vaccines protect against transmission, but at least we can protect the most vulnerable people if we can identify them and persuade them to be vaccinated. A few tens of millions of doses will not quite cover that, but will be a very big step towards covering the most vulnerable if they're prioritized sensibly.
0: Can I go back and ask you a question about something you just said, Mark? You were making the point that we don't know when we'll hit herd immunity with vaccines, because we don't know how well the vaccines do against transmission. So I guess my first question is, why don't we know that? Is that just a function of the design study that was used in testing these vaccines?
2: Yeah, um, the easiest way to find out if someone has, has gotten the virus is to wait for people to get sick from the, potentially from the virus and then test them. And so that was the centerpiece of the design of all the clinical trials, which for very good reasons were designed to be fast, And not answer every question, but answer the most important question as quickly as possible. Two of the three major vaccine, Western vaccines, the Moderna one and the AstraZeneca one, had aspects of the trial that gave us a bit of a hint about transmission. The AstraZeneca trial looked at people in the UK part of the trial who were not sick and asked them to come in anyway and get swabbed so they could compare vaccine to placebo. And the Moderna trial, when they had people come in for their second shot, swabbed their noses, and so were able to estimate the impact of the first shot on whether you get infected, even if you weren't sick. So each of those gave some data, not very much data, but a little bit of data that suggests that both of those vaccines do have some impact on transmission, which is really good. The question is how much, and that's the part where we just don't have enough data or enough high-quality data to
0: really say. In light of that, and again, leaving out the variants, which we'll come back to in a moment, do you read the, the situation presently as, in the rich countries, we're headed for a kind of endemic pandemic that never goes away fully and is more like the flu? Or do you read it as, again, leaving out for a moment the variants, as something where, at least in the rich countries, eventually, maybe it's not going to be in April or May, but maybe it's in June or July and August, or when more doses become available and a higher percentage of the population has been vaccinated, where we might actually be able to say um, COVID is not really a danger in these rich countries anymore.
2: I think that would be quite surprising to get to the point where we have essentially no transmission. I think it's not out of the realm of possibility, uh, but I think Other scenarios are more likely. There was a paper in Science by a group from Emory that suggested that it would, over time, evolve into a situation more like A common cold, maybe up to influenza severity, but not pose the same danger. And I do think that that is the most likely. I think vaccines will accelerate that insofar as they protect the most vulnerable. But I think when a virus is this widespread in most of the world... And when the capacity to vaccinate heavily will remain limited for several years, at least, at a global scale, at the rate right things are going. And also given that the first generation of vaccines probably are not super effective against transmission. They probably are quite effective. If I had to you know, bet on a number, I would say they probably reduce it by about two-thirds. But I could be off, maybe, maybe 80%, which would be a lot, but would not be enough to get rid of the virus from circulation.
0: And in those numbers, even with a very high percentage of the population vaccinated, you think there would still be enough transmission going on that we're looking at something that fits that that paper you were talking about, something more like the common cold?
2: Yeah, I mean, 80% effectiveness and 100% coverage might just eliminate it or nearly eliminate it. but But maybe not in all the most densely populated places, which could then reseed other places. Um, And maybe not, maybe it won't be 80% effective and probably there won't be total coverage because everywhere it's been tried so far, there's significant vaccine hesitancy. So that that combination of things makes me think a lot of uncertainties would have to go our way for elimination to be a realistic possibility.
0: Presumably... It's also the case that even in this best case scenario, the very small probability one that you're describing, it would take years, because it would require something like a global spread of the vaccine, unless you had isolation of the rich countries, and you're probably not going to get get total isolation of those countries. It's not realistic, right?
2: Right, And, and it wouldn't be justifiable, even for someone like me, who's been an advocate of control measures, For a long time, once we have have high vaccination coverage in the most vulnerable groups, it would not be economically or otherwise justifiable to say, we're going to try to keep the economy hobbled for months or years just to stop this one virus.
0: I'm glad you brought up the control measures because that was going to be my, my next question. Again, once more with the caveat of that we don't know enough yet about the variants But again, assuming the variants are relatively controllable using the vaccine, where do you think is the right inflection point on the control measures? Where in the inflection point, what percentage of people need to be vaccinated in a a country or a region for control measures to be substantially pulled back?
2: Well, I think that's, of course, a very hard question. I think that the first indicator that I'd be looking to or indicators would be in places with high vaccine coverage is there a substantial drop in the mortality rate and in the hospitalization or hospital capacity use because those are the two things that are most damaging about this virus it kills people and it overwhelms health care which indirectly harms people's health it's going to be hard but necessary for us as epidemiologists, to try to disentangle how much of that is directly protecting the most vulnerable, how much of that is reducing transmission through the vaccine, and how much of that is reducing transmission through control measures. And uh, we'll all be working hard at that, and um, it will be a challenging thing to separate out. But I think um, I, I th- the scenario that I imagine unfolding, and I hope is correct, is that as vaccine gets rolled out to the people over 65 and 70, and over 75 people in nursing homes and people in other of the highest risk groups, um, you'll see still a lot of cases, but not nearly so much uh, damage from those cases. You'll have a lot of continuing diagnoses, but a dropping ratio of, of hospitalizations and deaths to cases. And that would be a sign to me that we're doing what we trying to do, that, which is to defang the virus by protecting the people whom it is most likely to harm. Exactly where you then draw the line, um, you know, it's very hard to say, well, we can tolerate this many deaths, but we can't tolerate that many deaths. But we tolerate deaths from influenza and we tolerate deaths from a lot of other infections. And at some point, we will draw that line.
0: We'll be back in a moment.
3: that's T-Mobile.com unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. AI might be the
1: most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud.
0: Take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com
1: slash strategic.
0: Mark, I want to ask you a kind of big picture, what will the world look like question. And let's fast forward to September 2021, when at least in the United States, Canada, maybe Mexico, schools are supposed to be back in session. And again, let's assume relatively uh, good uptake of the vaccine and relatively good efficacy of the vaccine, not against transmission, but against serious illness. First of all, do people go back to school? Are schools open pretty much everywhere? And second of all, what does ordinary life look like with respect to uh, different control measures ranging from masks to social distancing to um, closings or openings of, of retail and, and restaurants.
2: I was just having this exact conversation with, uh, <laughs> with people at our common university to try to think through all of these contingencies. I think under that relatively optimistic scenario of high vaccine uptake, particularly among teachers, would be an important qualification there. Um, for the reopening of schools, uh, and continued high vaccine efficacy, at least against severe disease. I think the amount of damage done by the closing of schools uh, to kids' education is going to be something people won't continue to tolerate, and that there will be very, very much social pressure, societal pressure to reopen schools. And that if teachers have access to vaccination in a fairly universal way, that will be the likely outcome. For the same reasons, I think other things will start to open up under such a scenario. And I think if we really have, if we go a million doses a day for that amount of time all the way through September, we're still going to have very low overall vaccine coverage. But if other vaccines come on and are highly effective, and or if we get more manufacturing capacity for the existing vaccines then we will start to have some uh, reasonable level of coverage in the population and with it i would expect some reduction in transmission i think the the one caveat to that is that the the seasonal changes that we saw last summer will probably happen again this summer so everything will look better in the summer as it did last summer because Uh, people will be outside more, the virus will transmit less well, and we may have a sense of security as we did last summer that's partially due to the vaccine and partially due to uh, seasonal factors. And so I think we're going to have to try to, again, separate out that, that contribution and make sure that as things reopen, which there will be great pressure to do, we're not setting up for another bad winter like the one we've had here. But I think if we continue with continued high coverage and continued high efficacy in the most at-risk groups, it should be a very different winter next year.
0: You mentioned vaccinating teachers um, before a potential fall reopening. I know that in the debate about whether teachers should come first or whether professions should really be our basis for vaccination as opposed to the people most vulnerable and most at risk, you have been more on vaccinate the vulnerable rather than identify a professional class like, like teachers but it sounds like maybe as we get more vaccine out to the population you think it would make sense to target teachers in order to achieve the social goal of reopening schools or at least in acknowledgement of the fact that people are going to want it anyway
2: i have been very much in favor of trying to vaccinate first those who would be most likely to die i do think that in of, of all the professions apart from healthcare workers teachers play a truly fundamental role in our society for a whole variety of complicated reasons, but one of them is that they, through their childcare role, they make it possible for other adults to work. And another one, which we think of as the primary one uh, and, and is, but, but uh, is not the only one, is that they create human capital and they, and they educate our children uh, to move on with their lives. And those are two really, really fundamental roles that are different from those of many other important occupations and i i think there will be appropriate demand to vaccinate teachers at least in time for for fall reopening which in practice means starting probably in the late spring
0: mark you described that scenario that september scenario as optimistic i grant you that it's optimistic how optimistic I mean, does it seem to you, when you really check your gut, pretty darn unlikely that by September, again, in like in the United States, we'll have enough vaccine uptake, declining mortality among the most vulnerable, and be able to begin the process of really getting back to normal? Or when you think instinctively, you say, yeah, that could be, but we have to be honest, things are morphing, things are changing, and it might might well come out a different way, so we should be prepared for something different.
2: I I think if I had to put my bets on the most probable scenario, it would be of a September that we would all be reasonably happy with in terms of our lives being something like what we want them to be. I think people will still be wearing masks in places where they have been. And I think, you know, air filters will continue to <laughs> to do a brisk business and, and people will continue to be cautious, but that that there will be my best guess is that we will have a a school year that is recognizable as a normal school year. But I think there are, as you say, ways that 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 could go wrong that are just hard to predict until we have more data on the variants and their consequences for immunity and on any other surprises that lie in store.
0: Mark, what am I not asking you that that I should be asking you here? We,
2: we didn't get to talk about the variants actually all that much. We talked more about if they don't become a big problem,
0: but... Um, well, let's talk a little bit for a moment then about what, you know, what you think would be the case if they do become a big problem.
2: Yeah. Well, I think in the period between now and when the vaccine is protecting the vulnerable, there could be a period where we have a really hard time controlling the virus. We, we also haven't talked about the UK variant, which almost certainly is more contagious. Conflicting data about whether the vaccines are less effective. Nothing that suggests that they're wildly less effective, but some suggestions that they're somewhat less effective, depending on whose data you read. And some hints, um, but from very preliminary studies, that that the UK variant is more lethal.
0: Mark, was there a moment as the data began to come out about the UK variant, where you started to buy the view that it was in fact substantially more transmissible because the very earliest data was pretty loosely associational. So what was the thing that pushed you to say, yes, it's almost certainly, I think which was your formulation a moment or two ago, almost certainly more transmissible?
2: Yeah, I think the fact that it's been seen to spread more effectively than the prior variants in multiple places in the UK. And it's not just that people are moving around so fast that every place is connected perfectly to every place else. It's that in multiple parts of the country, the frequency was going up at a rapid rate.
0: Okay, so the UK variant, reason for serious concern there. Um, what about the other variants, Brazilian or, or South African? What are the other big worries we should have about those?
2: Well, I think the the big worries with those are, are what we don't know how much the escape um, from immunity in the lab will translate into escape from immunity in populations of people. But that remains to be seen.
0: And if the thing that we're worried about were to transpire, we would be signing up then for a longer period of time, slower progress because the vaccines would be less efficacious, more social distancing, sort of more of what we're dealing with, more uh, mortality, presumably, more risk to vulnerable populations.
2: Yeah, I think that's the worst case. And I don't think that's the, the likely case. Now we're really in the realm of speculation because we've just never watched this process happen with the coronavirus. But with influenza, we know that it evolves to escape our immunity. It does so every few years. It makes a, a substantial bit of progress against our immune system. And we don't have a flu pandemic and lockdowns every three or four years. Even though it's we're racing it with our immune systems, we keep up to some degree and we don't have uh, huge tolls of mortality and, and hospital use in almost any season outside of pandemics. So by that analogy, it's not perfect because it's a different type of virus, but by that analogy, we can certainly imagine a similar thing happening with this coronavirus. It would really be unprecedented to have two or three or four years of really bad circulation of the same virus causing the same amount of destruction, especially with good vaccines. I think it's irresponsible to totally rule it out, but it's also irresponsible to or it's inappropriate to describe that as a likely outcome at this point.
0: Well, that's a relatively cautiously optimistic note on which to end. I hope that by the next time we, we speak again, Mark, that uh, there will be good progress on some of these things. Thank you so much. Thank you. Speaking with Mark is always bracing and clarifying, and it always provides some central takeaways. Here's the first Mark is seriously concerned about the new variants that are coming, especially from South Africa. He says it's too soon to make determinative statements because the data is not there yet, but he wants us to watch this very closely. And in particular, he's concerned to make sure that vaccines, as they currently exist, are able to function as effectively as possible against these variants. Second, Mark continues to sound serious concerns about our goal of reaching the most vulnerable population with vaccines. That remains his priority, and to achieve that goal, we need more vaccine faster. Producing just enough doses to provide one million a day, Mark points out, even in a rich country like the United States, is not going to get us there because two doses of the vaccine are required per person, and we have 300 million plus people in the United States. Another important and perhaps more optimistic takeaway from Mark is that, all else being equal, it should, in principle, be possible by September of 2021 to begin to open schools and return to something very much more closely resembling normal than anything we've seen in the last year. Mark says there will still be masks in lots of public places, but ultimately, If things go well, and if it turns out that the vaccines do work at least basically against the emerging variants of the virus, he thinks we will be able to get back to normal. He does add a caveat, which is that if seasonally we begin to see declines in the spread of the virus in the summer of 2021, we need to remember that there is a seasonal variation. We saw it last summer, and we should be very careful to be sure that what we're seeing is a reduction that is caused by vaccination, not simply a seasonal reduction. So serious concerns, but a guarded optimism for the future. That's what Mark has to say, and I think we should be very grateful to him for his always cogent analysis. Until the next time I speak to you all, be careful, be safe, and be well. Deep Background is brought to you by Pushkin Industries. Our producer is Mo Laborde. Our engineer is Martin Gonzalez. And our showrunner is Sophie Crane McKibben. Editorial support from Noam Osband. Theme music by Luis Guerra. At Pushkin, thanks to Mia Lobel, Julia Barton, Lydia Jean Cott, Heather Fain, Carly Migliori, Maggie Taylor, Eric Sandler, and Jacob Weisberg. You can find me on Twitter at Noah R. Feldman. I also write a column for Bloomberg Opinion which you can find at bloomberg.com/feldman. To discover Bloomberg's original slate of podcasts, go to bloomberg.com/podcasts. And if you liked what you heard today, please write a review or tell a friend. This is Deep Background.
3: The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the Unconventional Awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World.